This morning, we want to look at just a few thoughts. I believe there's eight of these, um, and I want to share them with you this morning. In the world in which we live, we find ourselves impatient. We find ourselves discouraged. We find ourselves wanting to hurry up everything in our life. As I've watched the graduation post, the resounding statement, I can't believe that we're at this point with my child. My, how time flies. How quickly. And we've had pictures of some of you that when you were little and now you're big and how things change. Time marches on. And should time stand, many of you and myself, I have one more to go out of high school. We will experience that again. It's been a great time and we are proud of our graduates here, our young people, all of our young people, no matter what grade you're in, if you're graduating or not, we're proud of you. And we appreciate you. And we want to grow good, godly young people here. Uh, one day, Mr. Matthew will be gone. Somebody will fill this pulpit, uh, wherever I may be when that time should come. But I want to speak to you this morning again about those two topics of patience and encouragement, the opposite of discouraged, being encouraged. We've often seen it or said it, says, Lord, give me patience, but please hurry. You see, that doesn't make sense, does it? Give me patience, but I need you to hurry up and get this done. I need you to hurry up and accomplish this. Patience does seem to be in short supply in these days. A new term a few years ago, road rage. I don't know about you, but I experience it. I get behind people. I'm trying to get to school. The people who drive the speed limit make me late every day. Uh, they never fail. Just to, when you're in a hurry and they're just like poking along, uh, and they don't even drive. That's what aggravates me. Don't even drive the. They don't even drive the speed limit. Uh, but again, the speed limits are there for a purpose, and we're to obey them. But road rage seems to be prevalent, and it's very frequent that you hear sometimes that someone's even shooting somebody because of those things. A lack of patience should never happen. But we are an impatient people. 
always in a hurry, always rushing to get somewhere that we might not even want to go. There are places like, well, I really don't want to go there, but we're going to be in a hurry to get there. Something that you don't even like or enjoy doing. But the scripture has a lot to say about being patient. And I believe that if we can alleviate uh, the, the thought of being impatient and be encouraged in other situations, I believe the encouragement will help with the impatience. I often tell you that a lot of sermons that I present or put together or construct or whatever the case may be, it's things that I deal with. Because I know if I deal with it, somebody else has got to be dealing with it. <laughs> but the scriptures reveal that it does pay to be patient. It should not surprise us, seeing as out how we serve a God that is very patient and has consolation that the Bible speaks of it. In Romans 15 and verse 5, the Bible tells us that, doesn't it? That context deals with bearing the infirmities of the weak and not pleasing ourselves, but to, but to seek the edification of others. And later on in verse 3, or back up, Jesus is cited as example for us. For Jesus, or for Christ, please not himself, but being patient. The book of James in chapter 1 and verse 4 speaks of the patience having her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing, Now, I think with patience, never should be confused with being lazy or lethargic or uh, lukewarmness. But if you remember in the book of Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 13, when it talks about love, it shows that love is loaded with patience. When we truly love someone we're going to have patience. 1 Corinthians 13 and 3 through 6 speaks of that. How we're to be patient in love. It tells us that we are to consider there in 1 Corinthians 13 and 3 through 6 how it's long-suffering and kindness. Love is lack of envy and pride and, and seemly behavior and lack of selfishness. Love is calmness and purity of heart. It's source of joy and it's patience. I can tell you this morning that patience is needed in our homes, in our families. Many marriages are stretched to the limit and strained to the limit, eventually broken by spousal impatience. 
In Malachi 2 and verse 16, God still hates the putting away and divorce. Husbands and wives need to read and reread those pertinent passages from Scripture when it talks about the relationship in Genesis 2. In verses 19 through 24, of man and woman and create the creation of those, those two. In Matthew 18, when it speaks about putting away or divorcing and how man should love his wife as his own self. Ephesians 5 and 22 through 33. And let me tell you that whatever situation we find ourselves in, if we will endure with patience, if we will uh, keep patience going in your life and mine, it will pay off if we stick with it. But patience is needed in a church. If you remember one of the seven churches of Asia by the name of Philadelphia in the book of Revelation in chapter 3 and verse 10, the Lord spoke of it. It's complimented because you've kept the word of my patience, he says. You see, we can only bear this patience. And we can only see the payoff when we read and study the word of God. And we see our great example of Jesus Christ showing us how to be patient. But when we become patient people and we work on patience and having to slow down in our lives and be patient with our spouses, because I'm going to tell you, some of us, we're very lucky to have a woman to love us. I'm very lucky. I've always said that a man marries up or he marries down. I'm most certainly married up. I can promise you. And that's what you look for in a spouse, young people, is someone that's going to help you be a better person. A better person as you date. A better person as you go through the dating process and eventually maybe even marriage. And if we find ourselves impatient with each other, then, guess what? We'll be impatient when we marry them. We discussed this morning in, in our young people's class, as I taught it, I've always said this, and they now, can, they now can finish it. When I say, whatever they do now while you're dating them, multiply it by ten. Multiply it by ten. Because when you get married, that's what it's going to be like. But being patient. Could this morning, could you be a, better, a, a more patient father? Think about that. Could we as fathers this morning be more patient in our jobs? Could we be more patient in our homes with our spouses because maybe they don't do it the way we want it done or they don't do it as quick as we want them to do it maybe with our children 
maybe with each other in the Lord's church. Could we be more patient? Could you be a more patient mother and wife with your children and your husband? You know, really, when they do those things that you don't like and that just really gets on your last nerve, you can't blame anyone but yourself because you're the one that married them. Okay? <laughs> you're the one that chose them. Uh, so if you want to get aggravated at someone, just get aggravated at yourself. But could we be more patient in our jobs, in our, just our lives overall? Not getting so worked up. Oh, it's easy to get worked up, isn't it? Things don't go right. This don't go right. This don't go right. And then you just get all bent out of shape. And then we take it out on who? The people we love the most. But having patience. These next eight things I want to share with you quickly is situations that we find ourselves in life. I found myself in these, some most recent. Some were years ago. Some will come in the future. Now, I want you to use your Bibles and go with me, and if you can't keep up, mark them down and go back and read them. These have helped me, and I hope they help you. When we find ourselves impatient, and maybe you're going through grief, that's the first one. Being patient or impatient in grief. What does the scripture say? And I want these scriptures to encourage you and encourage me this morning as a father, as a preacher, as a school teacher, as whatever I do in my life and whatever you do in your life. Every one of us pretty much have experienced grief. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13 gives us something to hang our hat on. Paul's writing to the brethren there, and he's talking to them. They're confused on some things. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. But he said, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. You see, the thing this morning, we have hope. And in grief, as was prayed earlier, let us be faithful so we can be with them again. Being patient in grief. And if that doesn't work for you, you go to the book of Revelation in 21 and verse 4, and it says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He says, there shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying, 
and there will be no more pain for the former things of this life have what? Passed away. When I read those two passages in grief, times of grief, that exhorts me and helps me more than anything to know that my God has prepared a place for me with none of those things. No more death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain, no sickness. And it helps me to be patient so that I can see those loved ones once again. Number two, what about times of betrayal and persecution? Have you found yourself in times of you felt like you've been betrayed by a best friend or maybe a brother or sister in, in Christ? And maybe you received some persecution because you've had to stand up for what's right and, and people don't invite you to go places or they don't, do, they don't uh, include you in the group chat or they don't, whatever the case may be. The book of Hebrews in chapter 4 and verse 15 says this to me and to you. The Bible reads, We do not have a high priest who cannot what sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are, but yet without sin. We have Jesus, our high priest. Nothing that we've ever experienced and been persecuted, betrayed, he has not seen or withstood himself. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 12, the Bible says, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your what? Reward where? Not here on this earth, but in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. John 15 and 18, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me, Jesus says, before it hated you. We serve a high priest that knows our weaknesses, that knows our temptations. So in our times of grief and in our times of betrayal and persecution, let us go to these scriptures and be encouraged and be patient. Number three, when you've experienced grief and you've experienced betrayal and persecution, sometimes you feel lonely. You ever felt just lonely? I have. There's been times in my life that it's been dark. I feel like that I'd, I had not a friend. No one. 
Elijah went through depression, didn't he? Remember? He said, I don't have, there's nobody, Lord. And the Lord reminded him, didn't he? He said, there's some who haven't fallen to the to Baal. Elijah was to the point, he says, Lord, just take my life. I'm ready to be done. Deuteronomy 31 and verse 6. says to me and to you, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. You see, that makes me feel so confident but you know, when I don't read those and I don't rely upon that, I get not so confident. But when you're lonely, the psalmist writes in the book of Psalm in 27 and verse 10, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. You know, that's a bad deal, isn't it? We've got a lot of kids in our world today where their mother and fathers have forsaken them. And that's a bad feeling as a kid. We see it every day in the educational world. But the Lord will take care of me. In 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 16, the Bible reads to me and says to me, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all, as Paul writes. A lot of scripture about loneliness. In the book of Revelation in 3 and verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. When we're lonely, open the door to Jesus Christ. Open the door. Be persistent. In that plea. But when you find yourself in grief and betrayal, persecution and loneliness, sometimes in these times of loneliness and all these negatives that we just talked about, you find yourself tempted. You find yourself tempted to go after things that will make you happy, that are momentarily Sometimes people go buy things. Sometimes people engage in sinless acts. Put things into their body and participate in things that are not godly because they're, they're tempted and they're lonely. Why do you think we have so many children that are turning to gangs and, and, and to, to many things on the, the, the idols that are not godly on, on, in our young people's lives? 
They want to be accepted. They want to be part of somebody who makes them feel that they are loved and cared for. And I'm part of something. And know something, what, what anything better than to be a part of than the Lord's church? Part of a Christian family. Other young people who guide them and help them to, to, to lean upon my children, how part of you, they call, they talk to, they text. But I'm lonely. I'm down. One thing I can say for our young people that when certain things happen in their life, they will text them. They will say, hey, let's go out to eat. Let's go do this. Let's go do that. And it's also in our older people. That's what the family of God is about. In the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 10 and verse 13, you're familiar with the passage. No temptation has overtaken taken you except that is common to, to man. But God is faithful, he says, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But he says, with that temptation, will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. What comfort we find. Number five, when you're tempted, you're lonely, you've been betrayed, you're going through grief, sometimes you have guilt. Guilt. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, the Bible says to us, says, if we confess our sins, now notice, if, if you're willing, if you will make that step, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. Because when you experience grief and betrayal and persecution and loneliness and you're tempted and you fall to that temptation and you sin, then the good is still in there and, and you're saying, I, I've done wrong and I feel guilty and I need to make it right. And as these scriptures this morning are meant to encourage, I hope they encourage you to do the right thing. But number six... When you're tempted and you're guilty and then sometimes fear will set in. Sometimes fear sets in. We think about, oh, I may not get to go to heaven or I've offended or I've, 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 I've embarrassed my family, I've embarrassed myself, I've embarrassed the church, I've embarrassed Christ. And we, we fear. You see, fear can be taken away through repentance and confession, through baptism. So you don't have to fear those things when you've let Christ in your life and you've opened that door. Isaiah 41 and verse 10 speaks to us and the Bible says to us, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. 
And I will strengthen you. And yes, I will help you. And I will uphold you with my righteousness or my righteous right hand, he says. God will be there. When that fear sets in and guilt and tempted because of the loneliness and the betrayal and persecution and grief and, and all these things that affect us, confusion. Confusion sets in. What, what do I do? Where do I go? The world says to take another pill. The world says to take this drug. The world says drink this alcohol. The world says go and hang out and, and buy something and make yourself feel good temporarily. The world says have a good time, live it up, drink and be merry, and don't worry about those things. But God says, yes, you must. You must recognize those sins. In Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 6, in all your ways acknowledge him and he what? Shall direct your paths. That's what you got to do. If you wake up this morning and acknowledge Him, He will direct your path. There's no better decision ever than to serve to God, our God, the true and living God. And He will direct your paths. James 1 and 5 speaks of wisdom when you're confused. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives it what? Liberally. And without reproach. And it will be given to, to you or to him. But we've got to ask. When we're lonely and we're tempted and we've sinned and we're guilty and we're fearful and we're confused, he says, just turn to God. Last but not least, number eight, death. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says, Appointed unto man wants to die. So you know what that means? Every person sitting here today will die at some point in this old time that the world should stand. And he says after that, the judgment. He says, we're going to die. I know I'm going to die. One day I'm going to leave this world. One day you're going to leave this world. But in John chapter 11, in verse 25 and 26, the Bible reads and says to us, I am the resurrection and the life. Hear this. He who believes in me, though he may die, a physical death, he or she shall live eternally, spiritually. And whoever lives and believes in me, watch it, shall never die. We're going to die physically, but we can live eternally. Being patient and not impatient 
in all of these things in our lives. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Please come, as together we stand, and as we sing.